the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bruce Hooley Show on the Answer originates from the Patriot Switch studios. Go to PatriotSwitch.com. Click on My Name, Bruce Hooley, and the How Did You Hear About Us menu. That will tell you how to get in touch with me to find out how you can make a statement with your shopping dollars. The statement that rogue, woke companies are making is that liberal causes are supported by everyone. Well, they're not supported by me, and my guess is they're not supported by you. If you're a listener to this show on The Answer in Dayton, 94.5, or The Answer here in Columbus, 98.9. So go to Bruce Hooley. In the How Did You Hear About Us menu when you go to PatriotSwitch.com. Yesterday, big meeting at the White House between Joe Biden and Jerome Powell. It was a private meeting. And uh, I wonder, like, at any point in that meeting, if Jerome Powell, while Biden was, you know, drifting off to sleep or looking somewhere else, if Jerome Powell, like, was, like, waving to somebody, the head of the Fed, like, get me out of here. This guy's crazy. He's going off on some tangent. Nobody, I don't understand what he's talking about. And then, like, Biden looks over and Powell realizes, like, he's been caught and, like, ah, scratching the back of my head. Like, we've all had that moment, right, where we're uh, talking maybe about the uh, the grandpa, the grandma who's a little bit out there. And then you realize they're watching you and and you're busted, right? Well, the people in Joe Biden's White House are busted, are busted. The headline, Biden frustrated with AIDS for walking back his statements, worries he looks weak. Really? Uh, It took you like a year and a half to figure out that you're looking weak when you say of Vladimir Putin, this man cannot remain in power. And then everybody goes in the White House goes, "Uh, no, we're not advocating for regime change. Or when you're talking to soldiers in Ukraine and they're all like nodding off because you're so boring and you snap them to attention by saying, they're really brave in Ukraine, and you'll find out when you're there. And everybody's like, huh? We're going to Ukraine? And then the White House is like, no, no, we're not going to Ukraine. Uh, so this is a normal thing, right? The White House walk back. And now it's getting to the point where Biden is so absurd and so wrong in what he says, departing from U.S. policy like the other day uh, in Asia when he was point blank asked, Will the U.S. intervene uh, militarily if China invades Taiwan? And he's like, yes. Well, that doesn't leave the White House a lot of wiggle room. So they figure, well, we got to lie. So let's just go all the way. Let's just say that his commitment to participating in in putting military Feet on the ground in Taiwan in the event of a, ja- of, of, a, of a Chinese invasion. Let's just say that's been our policy all along. Maybe nobody will know. And so that's what Lloyd Austin did. Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense. He's like, uh, no, uh, the president, as you heard the president yesterday, he, uh, he affirmed longstanding U.S. policy, even though that's not even remotely longstanding U.S. policy. Well, apparently, uh, Grandpa has finally had enough 
of this. NBC News reports that Biden is mad because the cleanup on aisle seven effort is uh, making him look bad. So um, the good way to fix this would be to, in my mind, stop making the dumb comments. But Joe Biden has always been a big mouth. He's always blathered on and on and on, patting himself on the back. How many times have we heard two things from him? Deer aren't wearing Kevlar vests. And then he takes the Lord's name in vain. And the other thing he's always blathering about is his 94 assault weapons ban, which he says reduced shootings by three times. And it didn't do either one. So I get the fact that when you have a guy who's in office and has the bully pulpit of the presidency and he keeps saying things wrong that could, oh, you know, cause an international incident or start World War III, I understand why people might be stopping him from doing that. Now, Biden is also said to be angry that Democrats in Congress are not doing enough, not doing enough to defend his record, not doing enough to defend his record. Uh, Wow. Which part of the record would you like us to defend, uh, President Biden? I wonder how he's going to feel in November when candidates or October, September, when candidates and Tim Ryan has already said this for the Ohio Democratic primary, hasn't flat out said it, but he said everything but saying, I don't want Joe Biden to come. I want the campaign to be about me. I want the campaign to be about me. When in recent memory or long-term memory has a candidate for national office not wanted the president to come and campaign for them? But with inflation where it is, with prices where they are, we understand why Tim Ryan would try to make the best of a terrible situation and not have Joe Biden come in and have to stand there next. Because you never know what Biden's going to say, which gets us back to the reason why we were talking about this in the first place which was Biden's meeting with Powell yesterday. Now, again, we're not going to get any details on this, but the whys of the meeting seem pretty obvious to me. Number one, if you call Jerome Powell in, then you can say, well, see, I am doing something. But Karl Rove, political analyst on Fox, sees other reasons why Biden called Powell into the White House. I think it's a cover your posterior, posterior piece. This, isn't a, this is not a serious plan. Uh, let's look at it. The main point is, he says, the primary responsibility for dealing with inflation is the Federal Reserve. In other words, it's not my fault, not my responsibility. It's the Federal Reserve's. And then I got practical steps that are going to reduce costs. We're going to do something about supply chains. Haven't you been doing that for a year and a half? We're going to do infrastructure. Didn't we pass a bill on that last year? We're going to build one million homes over the next five years. We have 142 million homes in America today. Why is adding seven-tenths of one percent of homes over the next ten over the next five years paid for with taxpayer dollars going to reduce the cost of housing? We're going to have price controls on drugs. We're going to have child and elder care. In other words, we got build back better. We got this five trillion dollar sold it at three and a half trillion dollar spending bill that's what he's talking about yeah so he's right obviously besides calling powell in he can play the well i met with the fed chairman it also implies that hey don't blame me for all this stuff there's somebody else who's responsible for i'm bringing him in i'm going to set him straight i'm going to get him going obviously there's nothing nothing joe biden has done that is working out and The one thing that he has never done, besides anything that works, is take the blame for anything that he has done. So this is an effort to deflect. This is an effort to pin on Jerome Powell the things that are exclusively 
Joe Biden's problem, like the feckless withdrawal from Afghanistan and the southern border crisis. But as it concerns Powell and the economy, it's rising rates of interest for home loans, which is an attempt to get costs under control. But energy is driving everything. And we've discussed and we will continue to discuss what Joe Biden has done to demonize energy in our country, which affects everything, which affects the prices of every single good on the market. So uh, nice try, Joe, but none of us are buying it. And we're not buying it because we've not forgotten that Trump's policies work. And chief among those policies, of course, was gas prices. I mean, everybody's touched by gas prices, whether you're driving or not, you're touched by gas prices. And the lies they continue to tell on gas prices are well-crafted, but none of us are falling for them. Yesterday, Brian Deese, the president's National Economic Council director, was on Fox talking about gas prices. Listen closely to what he had to say to this question from Bill Hemmer. I get it. I mean, it comes up in every conversation. It was pointed out in the Wall Street Journal piece I just pointed out as well. But your energy policy has taken us from energy independent in the other direction. On, on, well, res- on case after case, I mean, respectfully, we're producing more. Right, right. But yeah, how do you defend? We're producing that? more oil. We're producing uh, more oil uh, this year than uh, in the first year of the last administration. We're producing more oil this year than in the first year of the last administration. Producing, producing more oil this year than in the first year of the last administration. Now, let's just say he's right. I'm not saying he is, but let's say he's right. How could that be possible? How could they be producing more oil this year, their second year in office, than in the first year of the Trump administration? Because since they shut down American energy, the question has become, how long would it take us to ramp American energy production back up? And the answer is usually two years. So Trump inherits an economy from Obama that was not producing the apex of American energy that it could. And it took him two years to get the production rolling. So when the Biden administration says we're producing more this year than in the first year of the Trump administration, they're picking their years very carefully. And they're doing that for a very targeted reason. Bruce Willis Show on The Answer, and today's show, as I've told you, is on tape because I am right at this moment participating in a roundtable discussion at the Columbus Metropolitan Club with uh, opponents of House Bill 616 and one proponent, Troy McIntosh, Center for Christian Virtue. Uh, Troy and I will be the only ones advocating for that law, and we're not really advocating for it in the form that it's written. Uh, We understand it's going to go through several readings in the House and in the Senate and the General Assembly. But the necessity of the law is, uh, to me, uh, incontrovertible. I mean, we have, throughout the country, um, just disgusting images of drag performers in schools. We have teachers who will proudly fly uh, trans flags and LGBTQ plus flags, will not fly the American flag. And... If we're going to be serious, and we always hear people in the aftermath of a shooting like Uvalde say, we got to get serious about ending school shootings. When are you you Republicans going to do something serious? Well, I don't find it to be a serious policy to just take away people's guns. 
because if you're going to take away people's guns on the basis of, well, they're a threat. They're a threat to themselves. They're a threat to other people. I'm not comfortable with giving you the authority to determine who is a threat. I mean, the January 6th insurrectionists are a threat, right, to people who fantasize that those uh, few folks who broke the law by trespassing on the U.S. Capitol were some kind of uh, force that might end our republic. Uh, Pretty sure I remember that day vividly. I condemned the assault on the Capitol right away, and I uh, also remember that the vote to certify the election, which I'm not saying that was the right decision, I'm just saying the vote to certify the election was held by the end of the day. So was not any kind of real serious threat to our democracy. But you're going to say, it is, it is a threat. So we have to take away your gun. We have to take away this. You can't say that. You can't post that. No, I'm not going to do that. Why do we make laws in our country? Why do we make laws? We make laws to establish protections from people hurting themselves or hurting others. That is why we have laws. That's why we have laws against assault. That's why we have laws against excessive speeding on the highway. That's why we have DUI laws. We make laws to solve problems or to prevent problems from happening. So I don't want our books, our legal you know, system encumbered with needless laws. So the first question to ask about House Bill 616 is, is it needed? Is it necessary for us to have a law? What problem are we trying to solve? And the problem that I say, House Bill 616, which would outlaw teaching divisive concepts, 1619 Project, critical race theory, would also preclude teaching kindergarten, first, second, and third graders about gender ideology, sexual orientation. The problem I'm trying to solve the problem I see House Bill 616 solving is teachers who want to delve into those areas are, in the case of CRT and the 1619 Project and intersectionality and everything else, not teaching authentic American history. I learned about many, many years ago, because I'm much older than, you know, the millennial generation, we learned about slavery in American history class at good old West Liberty Salem High School. Shout out, Coach Al Kern, my history teacher at WLS. We learned about Reconstruction. We learned about Jim Crow. We learned about all that. That's authentic American history. And we learned it in the context of that's not what America was founded to be. It's not what America was founded to be. America is an ideal. America is something you aspire to fulfill all the things in the Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence. And it took us deplorably too long to get to those for black Americans. But we were committed to getting there and we remain committed to getting there. So I'm trying to solve the teaching of incorrect, unauthentic American history. The other thing that I'm trying to solve, the other issue I'm trying to solve, the guardrails I'm trying to establish, the safety that I'm trying to set up is for the innocence of children, the innocence of children to teach sex and gender ideology to kindergarten, first, second and third graders. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you have a kindergarten, first, second or third grader. 
in your home or have you had one? Maybe you're a grandparent. Have they ever drawn you a picture of a man, of a woman? Have they ever drawn you a picture? Have you ever put that picture on your refrigerator? If you have, then I'm going to make an educated guess that the picture they drew for you distinct woman might have been wearing a skirt. The woman might have had longer hair. The man might have had facial hair. The man might have been taller, bigger in stature. These are generalizations, but they are effective in that this is how young children see the world, how they see the differences between men and women. So let me ask you a question, an uncomfortable question, but a question that must be asked. When your kindergarten, first, second, or third grader draws you a picture of a man or a woman, they draw their dad, they draw their mom, they draw their teacher, they draw you. Do they draw you with breasts? Do they draw a man's genitalia? Do they? Of course, the question is so nuts and stupid and beyond the pale that you almost recoil at me asking it. So why do we need to then introduce those things to kindergarten, first, second, and third graders at a time they are not even thinking about those things? Because here's what I fear happening. And I'm not making this parallel, but I'm not also excluding the possibility of this parallel. We were all a week ago today, just a week ago today, moved when we started to see pictures of the victims of the Uvalde shooting. Pictures of the victims of the Uvalde shooting. Every single one of them was the age that we're trying to keep these concepts from being taught in Ohio schools. Now, if I ask you how many of those kids died in Uvalde, you probably say, well, 19 died. You know what? I would submit that 20 died because I would submit that the shooter was a kid too. And it's obviously horrible that we lost 19 little innocent kids a week ago Tuesday. When did we lose the 18-year-old? When did we lose the shooter? When did somebody put something in his mind that set him on a path that led him to do the unthinkable. I don't want to put any kids, any more kids on that path. We have so many things in our culture that we deem not age appropriate, right? Age you can drive, age you can drink, age you can see a certain movie. We want first, second, third graders and kindergartners to be introduced to sexual ideology and gender identity. And that that's by any objective measure, completely unnecessary. So I'll update you tomorrow on how the day went. Just know that I very much appreciate your prayers during today's event. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.